Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. make fun of him because of how young he looks. Nobody includes him. They call him the narc behind his back. They do? One day, you'll be cool. Oh, so you're the kid who's been sending me those articles from the school newspaper. What do you like, the star of your school? They hate me. This is Rolling Stone magazine. We got a couple copies of your stories. I think you should be writing for us. We can only pay, let me see, $700. All right, a grand. I'd like to interview you or somebody from your band. Oh, the enemy, a rock writer. How old are you? 17. Me too. Actually, I'm 16. Me too. Isn't it funny? The truth just sounds different. I'm 15. No. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> Welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and see if they hold up, see how they look through a modern gaze. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm Robert Larone. With me, as always, is Blaine Waters. And. Our special guest, again, Johnny Walker, your favorite modern gay. Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some top contenders out there, but... If I'm not your favorite modern gay, Rob, I'm going to storm out of this studio right now. <laughs> okay, you're my favorite. That's putting you back on top of the list after that. And we have a lot to talk about, a very long movie with lots of bonus tracks. But before we get into that, we want to first of all thank our Patreons. Those are the people who pledge one, three, five dollars every month and they help keep us going, man. Yeah. They're like the fans, the people who really care about the music. Yeah. We are talking about a real rock and roll movie here. Mm-hmm. It is almost famous. Cameron Crowe. The 2000 semi-autobiographical movie directed yeah. and written and fucking everything else by Cameron Crowe. <laughs> he played Kate Hudson in this movie. <laughs> he probably, like, read her lines to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was, for me, a big movie and one that I really liked. What about you, Blaine? I I liked this movie when it first came out. It didn't really sit with me and become a part of the movies that I loved. I liked Jerry Maguire way more than oh. this movie. Oh, um, interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, Show me the money. Yeah. yeah, well, I thought it was a great written script, and uh, there was a lot of like... Yeah, it definitely had a script. Yeah, thanks. 
<laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. I'm so glad you're on this show. Assassinating me <laughs> on my own podcast. Assass. No. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was very writerly. This movie wasn't so much. This movie kind of, you know, let the characters go on their journey without putting so many, like, quippy lines in their mouths. And so, yeah, I, I like Jerry Maguire better. This, I thought, was a good movie, but it never really stayed with me. What, mm. what about you, Johnny? This movie was, like, huge for me. As oh, a yeah? Team. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I think it might have premiered at TIFF. Or like, yeah, I think so. I think because I remember as a high schooler reading the Toronto Star and seeing this, like, image of, you know, Feruza Balk, who was, like, the, the main person that I recognized from right. the craft, <laughs> right. and a bunch of other, like, people in 70s gear around this tour van. And I was like, oh, this looks like it's maybe, like, a movie for cool teens. And I remember talking to other kids in my high school, and we're like, oh, yeah, this movie is coming out. Like, this is something we're all going to be interested in. Right. There's, like, a lot of buzz yeah. in the hallways about it. <laughs> and then, Have you seen Almost Famous? <laughs> Almost. My mom won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I, I saw it and I really liked it. And I, it was, like, one of, I think, the first movies I had on DVD. Oh. And rewatching it, I, I really realized that I was like, oh, I know, like, every line of dialogue in this movie. Like, I, I must have seen it more times than I'd even realized because it was all, like, right. so burned into my brain. Right. Wow. So did it form your, like, music tastes? Like, did you go and listen to this music? Big classic. Oh, I definitely had the soundtrack. Yeah. That soundtrack was huge. Yeah, I think it won the Oscar that year. The soundtrack? I think so, in general. Sweet. Maybe just the song. There's no, like, original music in it, though, is there? Oh, well, well there, there is. There is, because of that, from that, the, you know, everyone's favorite still, 70s band, Stillwater. Stillwater. Yeah. yeah, still going. Today. <laughs> I think they're playing at Casino Rama next week. <laughs> <laughs> we should go. Yeah. Well, favorite dog! <laughs> <laughs> he can't hit those notes anymore, but, you know. Was it actually Jason Lee singing? No, it was some other guy named Marty Fredrickson or whatever. I think he's, like, one of those, like, you mm. know. Oh, Session musicians, yeah. But it was actually yeah. Billy Crudup playing guitar, right? Well, not on the songs. I think on the songs it was the guy from Pearl Jam. But oh. like he could play guitar for the movie. Cause I, I, it's like Peter Frampton taught him yeah. how to do it, right? That's, that's part of the mythology of the movie, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. So just put this in your mouth and talk through it. <laughs> Isn't there more to it than that? <laughs> but that's like, I mean, I feel like that's ever, anytime there's a movie like like with Black Swan or something, and it's like, and she did all the ballet or something. Like, well, she didn't. But yeah. we like to think that they did, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like makes it cooler if somehow yeah. they learned this whole skill sure it's like the overnight success story and we did a competent job yeah yeah i mean as long as they don't look completely fake doing it then Mm -hmm. you know that's the that's the main thing i think there's a little bit of a lie allowed in like the illusion of movie marketing yeah for sure it's part of the story what about you rob when did you first see this movie well this was a big movie for me i saw it i think when it came out or it must have been on dvd because i rented it with my then girlfriend my first serious girlfriend oh wow penny lane (laughs) yeah. <laughs> no, she was older. <laughs> but we both like really loved music, and I really loved rock music and classic rock music, and really into collecting records. Yeah. This was before it was cool. Right. You know, I had records too. Right, but you yeah. had to go to like the Value Village and go through a bunch of like Don Ho records to find anything good. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and where I was from, we didn't have like a record store, or like even we didn't have like. 
any venues for like real musicians to play. So I think like yeah, small town Ontario. Yeah, we got like yeah. honeymoon suite and Kim Mitchell one one year. <laughs> Kim Mitchell. Yeah, Woo! it's real big. Yeah. So when I saw this movie, it was kind of like. Everything that I wanted to experience from music right. presented to me in this, mm-hmm. like you know, really idyllic sort of package. Right. It was like the concerts you wanted to go to and the records you wanted to listen yeah, to. Yeah, and like even the character, like yeah. you know, he's like a young kid who wants to write about rock music, mm-hmm. and he just loves it so much, and it's so meaningful to him. We're, but you weren't like a rocker when you were a younger kid. You were into death metal, from what I understand. No, no, you know nothing about me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were into metal, weren't you? Yeah, I'm into metal, but like metal is just like this end of rock. Someone called you Metal Rob, like. They knew you back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, he goes to review a Black Sabbath concert. All right. They yeah. could be considered metal. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. You know. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't understand. I don't fully understand your, your life. minds. <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about this movie with a non-rock fan. Someone who hates music. I, I really... Actually, when I was a kid, I didn't, I didn't listen to music. I didn't really get it. I felt like an alien for a long while. Right. Yeah. Like, my mom got a CD player for the first time, and she was like, what do you want to buy? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know any bands to buy. Well, I think that's, like, one of the first things about this movie that hits me when mm-hmm. I rewatch it is, like, the first song that we hear is the Chipmunks song. It's, like, this novelty song. It's, yeah, like, for yeah. kids, right? That's what you listen to, right? Before you, like, actually know music. Yeah, I and, got a Weird Al CD that was, like, it's it's these funny things. You're like, mm. oh, I'm a kid. Like, this is funny. Yeah, and then his, like, older sister, who is cool, gives him all of these records because she has to run away from home because yeah. she can't stand to live with her mom. Yeah. And, like, that sort of sets him off on his journey. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a sort of beautiful sort of thing. Yeah, I never really understood. Yeah, the Does, Do you have an older sibling? No, but, I mean, I got all my records from my dad, mm. who, like, you yeah. know. Yeah, I, I, I don't have an older sibling either. And I, but, and, I, and that moment in the movie is so beautiful. Yeah. And I, I had a, a, like, I went and raided my parents' record collection at one point and, like, took mm-hmm. all the cool ones and put them in my bedroom and, like, hooked yeah. up a record player, so... Right. Yeah. yeah, and definitely like including like some of the records that like he thumbs through in that little montage. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, I'm collection. sure you got like Bowie in there and stuff like that. Yeah, and, like Joni Mitchell yeah. and Cream or yeah. uh, The Who. Yeah, yeah, yeah classics. Cool. Yeah, so this was a big movie for me, and I watched it a few times since. And I, I'd always watched the untitled cut, which is the bootleg cut, which is on the DVD, because mm-hmm. I. You know, I I think I thought and at the time that's the longer cut. That's the longer cut. It's yeah. the two three hour cut. It includes yeah. everything. I think almost everything that he filmed because apparently when Cameron Crowe showed this script to Steven Spielberg, Spielberg was like, "Direct every word of it." <laughs> Advice is so easy to give when you don't have to do it. Like, (laughs) Spielberg's just giving advice to everyone. I feel like Spielberg's saying that to everyone. Yeah? Yeah, there's like a story. That's just like boilerplate advice for young filmmakers. (laughs) When Barbara Streisand showed him, like, the first cut of Yentl, he was just like, don't cut a frame. I think this is kind of lazy advice he's doling out. (laughs) Maybe that's how he's been sabotaging people throughout the last 30 years. (laughs) You all make bloated films while I make... Nicely honed commercial masterpieces. Yeah. George, episode one, don't cut a frame. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I don't know like what kind of mentorship that is to just tell everyone like all your work is perfect, change nothing. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, let's let's get into the mm-hmm. to the movie. And that was yeah. the, so that's the version we all rewatched. Yeah, yeah that's I insisted. And so we'll talk about like the difference because it's like, you know, 
back in the days, like, you could only fit eight tracks on a record. Now you can put all this room on an album. <laughs> right. But are the albums any better? Yeah, man. Is anything better than Sabbath's Paranoid? Yeah, I don't know. Pass that shit here, man. <laughs> okay, so almost famous. It sort of starts with like William Miller. He's like a kid. He has a mom who is very smart and very cool, played by Frances McDormand, mm-hmm. who I like totally wanted to be my mom for the longest time. <laughs> Somewhere your mom is just single tear. She's like, why am I crying right now? I don't. It's Frances McDormand, you yeah. know? Suck it up, mom. She's <laughs> a pretty difficult mom to have, but she, it's a wonderful performance. Yeah. I, yeah. She's well, a little overbearing. She's, sure. a li- she's a little overbearing. She doesn't like let her kids listen to the rock music mm-hmm. because of the devil. No, because it's about like <laughs> sex and drugs. And she's like, even though like a really smart, caring lady, uh, that seems to be like the thing that she doesn't understand. So her like her older kid played by Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. is sort of like rebelling. And she sort of eventually ends up running away to become a stewardess. She tells them by sitting them down and putting on Simon and Garfunkel's America, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, is pretty funny, both cheesy and like kind of perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels real. Like there's a lot of moments. Well, because it's so autobiographical there's a lot of moments like that feels a little like arch but real at the same time yeah you're not really allowed to question anything yeah well i didn't know that it was autobiographical so watching it i was like a 15 year old kid gets a job out of nowhere like that's unbelievable yeah but then you know i can't even get that that really happened yeah yeah Yeah, the job market was a a lot better back then yeah it was a lot easier to write for rolling stone apparently (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) you could just call up like the editor of cream or whatever and beat you on the street corner yeah well which he does and and that's philip seymour hoffman yeah it's probably a lot harder to become a flight attendant as well now nowadays (laughs) exactly (laughs) you don't run away to join the flight attendant school i really like when she storms out of that room and says this is a house of lies (laughs) yeah that's brilliant she's great in it too she's great and it's kind of like the first sort of notable thing that she did i think yeah yeah because it was what ghost world before this she was not in that movie that's thora birch i think that movie also came out johansson yeah okay all right. Oh, my God. Yeah, cut that out. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so her performance is really great. I, I loved her. But, <laughs> yeah, so she leaves him all of her records with all these notes, and he, after several years, passes. Oh, yeah, we forgot to tell about the part where his mom's lied to him about how old he is. Yeah, that's oh, so yeah, interesting. Very strange. So, is that true? I don't know. I don't know, but that's, like, weird and traumatizing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and that kid really pulls it off. That acting from that kid is pretty great in that He's scene. He's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who is that kid? Did he I, do, like, do anything else? Because he is yeah, so know. funny in this movie. I don't know. I was like looking through YouTube behind the scenes stuff and I saw a super cut of all the movies he'd been in. Someone's a fan of him out Whoa. there. Yeah. His uh, mom, probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably. Francis McDormand. Yeah. <laughs> Just cutting together that sons whole bit that she's where had he's like movies. Watching everybody like these clearly much more like pubically advanced teens. <laughs> pubically advanced teens. It's oh so God. like yeah. it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, well I love that he like pulls it off too. He's just the thing about this movie is that this character is just so comfortable in being who he is. He's like one of those people in high school that kind of you're like, How are you so cool? Like how do you just get it? Yeah, I don't know about him being cool. When we see him, like, sort of a little bit more grown up and he's, like, fully into the Patrick Fugit form, we first see him at school and it seems like everybody's, like, patting him on the back and it looks like everyone thinks he's, like, a cool kid even though he's young. And then the camera sort of pans over and it shows on the sign somebody's made it say, William Miller's too young to 
drive or have pubes or whatever. Yeah, I mean, mm. I feel like that's Cameron Crowe trying to have his cake and eat it too because he's like, he makes this kid so cool because he writes for Rolling Stone and he follows bands around and he like right. does all this stuff, but then he tries to make him like uncool in the world in which he exists to try to make us like the kid more. It's a weird thing. Well, there's a lot of stuff about coolness in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Because Zoe Deschanel, someday you'll be cool. Yeah, and yeah. L- Lester Bangs, I'm not cool. I'm sitting here talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're definitely not cool. Yeah. yeah, so like, there's like almost a philosophy of uncool sort mm-hmm. of around this, or yeah. what is cool. Being an uncool person in the center of like a cool world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because you're, yeah, that's what Lester Bangs says. You're not supposed to be cool. You're mm-hmm. the writer. You're there to like observe. Yeah. The Lester Bangs part, it's like two scenes. And apparently, Philip Seymour Hoffman was maybe only on set four days or something like that. <laughs> Jesus. But it's like such like a perfect performance. He's great. He's great. And he's so young. Yeah. And this is coming off of, I think, his his first big thing, which was Magnolia the year before, right? I guess so. This was the first thing that I saw him in, for sure. It was like, oh, that guy's the best. Yeah. Uh, I'd forgotten he was in the movie. And then in that first scene where he shows up, it was like... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it definitely was like a little like twinge of sadness and like that he's gone. And, yeah. Especially yeah. seeing him like so young and yeah. in in a really charming role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you want to hang out with him. You, mm-hmm. you understand what William Miller sees in him. Although I know? did find that like on this rewatch, about every time where any character is just talking about like their ideas about <laughs> music, <laughs> I kind of want to like put a gun to my head, but <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Lester Banks, everything that he says, the radio station interview is surprisingly contemporary for 2017. Like, people are still prefer the Velvet Underground over, you know. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Past cool. people wearing too. Yeah. He's kind of the catalyst for William Miller, too, because he gets him to write something for him. Yeah. He pays him $35 to review the Black Sabbath concert. Right. Which is a good deal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So his mom drives him to the concert and, you know, makes sure that he remembers his family whistle. <laughs> I love the family whistle. Did you guys have a family whistle? I, well, no. my family did. Okay. So I really, I like that moment. Yeah. Oh, man. No, I. No. I remember I had like a code word that like I had with my mom because she was a single mom. And if she couldn't pick me up at school and she'd send someone else, she'd give them the code word to then pick me up from school <laughs> oh so that God. I didn't get in the car with a stranger. Did did somebody ever not give the code word? I went with him anyway. <laughs> uh, and I haven't seen my mom since. No, no, no. No one ever else ever picked me up from school. Was it the same code word or did it change? It was the same. We, we didn't have like an hourly change. It wasn't like the army or anything like that. Mm. It was just, it was the same code word throughout my entire year. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's Tuesday's code word. Yeah. What, what was the code I'm not word? Gonna, I you're can't, not at liberty to say. I, I can't tell you because then anyone could pick me up. <laughs> and I don't want just anyone picking me up. <laughs> it's also like a crazy embarrassing so <laughs> well so he's at the sabbath concert he can't get in so he's hanging around and that's where he meets penny lane mm-hmm. kate hudson and yep. she is a band-aid as it is all explained a retired sort of groupy mm-hmm. type thing it's yep. all very vague <laughs> there's no more sex apparently blowjobs yeah, right? Yeah, it's really uh, weird. That's more of semi-retirement, though, isn't it? <laughs> the whole explanation of that is very 
like what are they talking about? Yeah, but that's the other thing. Like it, it's because of that, it seems a little real. Like it seems more real than someone trying to like make a coherent statement about what someone like exiting the groupie game would be. Right. Like yeah, they call themselves band aids. You're like that's really stupid. That's got to be real. You're not a what? Not a groupie. Oh. Groupie. We are not groupies. This is Penny Lane, man. Show some respect. Groupies sleep with rock stars because they want to be near someone famous. We're here because of the music. We are band-aids. She used to run a school for band-aids. We don't have intercourse with these guys. We support the music. We inspire the music. We're here because of the music. Mark Boland broke her heart, man. It's famous. It's a long story. I'm retired now. Visiting friends. You know, she was the one who changed everything. She was the one who said, no more sex. No more exploiting our bodies and our hearts. Right, right. Just blowjobs and that's it. <laughs> it's all happening! It's all happening! It's all happening! <laughs> but it's, yeah, there's sort of like, we're not... Something that can be peeled we're up We're not for Band-Aids. And we don't have sex with them. But except, blow- like, they clearly... Do like yeah. they all of those band aids are having lots of sex with rock stars? So that's not even true. It's yeah. gross to say band aids and sex in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> like it's awful. Speaker is though. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are connecting on a lot this episode. <laughs> yeah, and they don't help get him in. They they try to get him in, and it it doesn't work out. And mm-hmm. then but uh, then he uses his own wiles. Yeah, yeah, which is a good character thing to do yeah. in a movie. Yeah, yeah. And he mm-hmm. talks to Stillwater, and he convinces them that he loves them and yeah. listens to their records and stuff. And then there's like other scenes where he likes talking to Kate Hudson and they're talking about their age, which is a, a funny scene. Right. They keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I it's mean. It's like a reverse auctioneer. That's <laughs> yeah, really weird. Yeah. I mean, that's the weird thing about this movie is that, yeah, Kate Hudson's character is, what, 15, she says? 16. 16. She says 16. she's 16. Yeah, that's definitely a thing that I think is worthy of being discussed. The, like, elephant in the almost famous and, room. Yeah, it's it's that, and then uh, what happens when she takes a lot of drugs at the end is also, like, not cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we'll uh, talk about that later, but, yeah, her being 16 is weird, and I don't mm-hmm. remember it from watching it the first time. I feel like that was really... Deciding that, like, making movies about how, like, it's really okay for grown men to have sex with underage teenage girls was, like, all the rage. Like, very American beauty was having a moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're like, well, let's be honest, guys. We're all doing this, right? This is what we're, like... <laughs> we're using our power and influence yeah. to have sex with younger girls. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it'll never come crashing down. <laughs> and it's, I mean, certainly... In that world of 70s rock and roll, yeah. like, absolutely, like we know for a fact that a for lot sure. of those groupies were underage girls and they were Definitely. absolutely having sex with rock yeah. stars. So that's, yeah. that's pretty horrifying. That's, I mean, it's, it's strange because that is sort of one of the darker truths of that part of rock and roll history. And this is not a dark movie. No. no. Well, and, and, so, it's, and it's not played to be viewed no. as strange or weird or that yeah. she's being taken advantage Everything's of. Everything's just sort of sentimental because there's like a classic rock tune over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. And I think there is a certain amount of, there's different layers to it. You know, there's some of, there was like, I can't remember her name. There's one woman who was like a famous groupie and there was a whole controversy recently 
when David Bowie died because she right. had writ- written a memoir where she's like, I had sex with David Bowie when I was 15, but it was like a super positive experience for me. And some people are like, she was a victim. And then she doesn't say that she's a victim. And like, that's yeah. sort of a whole other conversation. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's like, so that was going on. Yeah, someone know, yeah. But then I just find that in this movie, particularly like Kate Hudson's age, it's like, A, if she's only 16, this whole long backstory of like, I was a groupie and yeah, then I exactly. became Band-Aids and I started a school for Band-Aids and now I'm retired. It's like, what, you started this when you were eight? Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Like, yep. How can you have, how long can this history be? Yeah. This previous summer you spent even on the road with them, you were only 15. Yeah. And how old is Billy Crudup in this movie? Like, yeah. he, what, like well, he looks in his 30s. I'm, I'm sure he's supposed to be younger, but yeah. Who, it's just one of those things, too, where it's like, <laughs> not that's a defense. It's like, <laughs> it's disgusting anyway, you cut it. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's like a thing where, even sure, I absolutely buy that these like seventies rock star guys in their like late twenties, early thirties are like having sex with groupies. You know, maybe this is like a charitable way of looking at it, not asking for IDs and be like, who knows? Different girls, different towns, probably some of the underage, whatever. But the idea too of like you're a grown adult and you want to spend this much time just like hanging around with a sixteen year old. Like I know she's a very charming sixteen year old, but like who wants to date someone that young when you're a grown up? It's weird. Like despite like. <laughs> Even beyond the whole, like, statutory well, rape stuff, like, <laughs> that's just weird. But Billy Crudup, the, his character only yeah. wants to hang out with teenagers in this movie. <laughs> yeah. He, he yeah, wants to sure, hang out true. with William Miller. He he leaves his whole band to hang out with high school kids at a high school party yeah. to do drugs with yeah. them. Yeah. Very man-child. Yeah. Well, and just kind of move past it, you mm-hmm. know? It gets creepy after a while. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's weird. And also that Penny Lane is dealt with as an adult so much in this movie. And this movie kind of treats her like an adult. She mm-hmm. She's only one year older than William Miller, but yet is this kind of out-of-reach older woman figure that William is into Mm -hmm. and in love with. Oh, yeah. She's his, like, unattainable manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Zoe Deschanel just right around the corner. Um, (laughs) Just in case. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, she reminds me of certain girls that I remember from high school. Yeah. Who seemed like... At such a young age, so sophisticated. And com- yeah, confident. Like, had a whole kind of fashion sense that, like, left the other teens behind, were so yeah. self possessed, and often, like, were dating, like, they yeah. were, they were dating older, older men, guys. Yeah. Like, they were 16, and they were had, they were the girl who had a boyfriend who was 27, and you were like, well, yeah, they were. They were probably, like, a lot more mature than a lot of the their contemporaries. And I think, like, what's weird in retrospect is you're like, yeah, but who was that guy? Yeah. yeah. Who were those, like, guys in their 20s who wanted to, like, go date a high schooler? That's weird. Yeah, but in high school, you didn't, like, I don't know. I didn't really think anything of it in 90s high school. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, girls mature faster than boys. This is what, like, you're told. And now I hope it's different, but... <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think, like, the sort of, like, interesting thing about the age thing, even on, like, his side, mm-hmm. is it, like, sort of positions him as, like, not complicit in, like, any of this. He's just, like, so young and naive and just, like, sees it all going around and sort of, like, writes about it, mm-hmm. but doesn't have any ability to do anything. He doesn't really take part in it. Even when he's deflowered later, it just <laughs> sort of, like, happens to him. He's just like, oh, I don't know, just... 
I just lost my virginity to. Uh, yeah, it's weird because like usually free band aids. Oh god, <laughs> damn it! <laughs> just the band aids. Anyway, uh, usually in a movie, your protagonist has like the drive starts everything yeah. is the catalyst to everything, and in this movie, everything happens to him. He's kind of like the Big Lebowski in a way, right? Like he's sort off, of like off mic, but yeah, locked out of obscurity yeah. almost. Yeah, he gets the cream gig, right? But then he writes his Sabbath thing, and Rolling Stone just calls him out of the blue. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you he know, opens his voice and gets the job. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, no one <laughs> like, and that's the thing. Like, I don't know if Cameron Crowe ever deepened his voice to get a job, but, like it's so see through that it's unbelievable to me. Well, but he like wrote the liner notes for Frampton Comes Alive when he was eighteen. Oh, it's so weird. It's like yeah. that's so crazy. He's lived a life. Well, and and he said throughout this, like him chasing down Stillwater for this interview and going to town after town after town was like his life back then. Yeah. And he would keep on phoning his parents, like his mom and dad. His, he just wrote his dad out of this movie. Uh, his mom and his dad, and being like, I can't come home because I need this interview. And they were like, You have to come home. What are you doing? So it's based on his experiences with the Almond Brothers, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a composite. Well, yeah, like and, the Almond and Brothers. And the Eagles mm-hmm. and Poco. Can't forget Poco. I think, like, Russell Hammond is supposed to be, like, Glenn Fry from the Eagles. Okay. But I always thought, like, he was more of, like, Dwayne Allman or something like that. Yeah. Or, like, even, like, Peter Frampton or, you know. But I, it's probably, like, a lot of different people, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And they're all sort of the same, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so he gets like asked to go on tour with them and he's getting paid to do this Rolling Stone story. So he, he has to get all the interviews and Russell keeps like putting it off. Mm-hmm. And then like a bunch of shit happens. Like he does like get electrocuted on stage at one point. Yeah. Which was it, – it's such a weird scene because you just – there's no big like – like there's no big sound effect to it. Yeah, he just, just like grips ha- the mic and then like tenses yeah. up and then yeah. steps away and yeah, falls down. Yeah, which is like, – because you, then you're with the audience wondering what the hell happened because yeah. you don't have that comedy-esque sound effect to go with it. That's in every <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that isn't a lot of movies when even dramas when people get electrocuted. So it felt really real, those those parts. And yeah. then they get in that big fight with Mark Maron. Yeah. I was impressed, actually. I thought Mark Maron was great in that scene. Oh, I didn't even recognize Mark Maron. He was the guy who was like, come on, you fucks, come on! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that fought the, the road manager. Yeah. The he, had, manager. he had one great line that was like... Hope you record a live album because this is your last tour. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. There's so many people in this movie that I didn't really realize were in it at the time. Right. And because they even he, his character says that like lock the gates thing that yeah. they always play on Mark Maron's podcast. It's like, oh wow, yeah. you were definitely in this movie. <laughs> He's just reminding you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's also Mitch Hedberg yeah. had a cameo in this. Yeah. And it made it into like one of his uh, stand-up routines. Yeah, that's right. That's, he's so funny. He's the funniest guy. Super young Jay Baruchel. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, yeah who's like a, baby. a deadhead? Yeah, deadhead. Who's he falling around? Zeppelin. Zeppelin. He's, he had Stairway to Heaven written on sorry, his shirt. Is a lead head. Oh I don't know. Oh. Right? That worked. And other things. <laughs> Eric Stone Street is in it. Yeah. And the, the guy who plays the bassist is a musician, Mark Kozilek. Mm. I, don't, I don't know who he is, but recently he wrote a song about Panera. Mm, so, nice. I thought that was notable. He was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about more of the rock and roll hijinks after this break. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're back. It's Rewatchability. We're talking about Almost Famous with Johnny Walker. Hey. <laughs> this movie sort of like goes through without a lot of events happening. But as the story sort of gets bigger and they get promised like the Rolling Stone cover, they like go to New York and they're celebrating. But they have to get a penny off the tour before New York because that's where Russell's wife uh, mm-hmm. is meeting up with them or lives. Yeah. So... One of the most, like, horrific scenes of the movie, <laughs> they, like, play a game of poker yeah. for possession of Penny Lane and the other Band-Aids, and she... For a case of beer. For a case of and beer. And 50 bucks. Oh, sorry, and 50 bucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, 50 bucks, too. Yeah, and she ends up getting, like, tossed away to the Almond Brothers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, in a card game with Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, it's it's terrible for her, and the best she can do is sort of joke, like... Was it good beer? <laughs> yeah, and that's a heartbreaking scene. And that scene, because I watched some interviews with Kate Hudson leading up to it, and then that scene, it, she just totally transformed into someone that wasn't Kate Hudson in that scene. That Her crying that one tear and kind of laughing about it and feeling all those, like, I felt every emotion she felt. And that's, she did a great job. Yeah. 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 Were you saying that wasn't Kate Hudson because you don't think Kate Hudson can act? <laughs> I mean, maybe a little bit. I think in her interviews and stuff, she's very she I, she doesn't demonstrate the range, obviously, that she has in her movies. Whereas some actors, they're always kind of themselves and going through that. Like, I mean, Robin Williams, all these people in these interviews can do that. Whereas I didn't feel that she could. And from other movies I've seen her in, she well, didn't get there. I think it's really, yeah. I think it's a really unfortunate thing can happen, especially to actresses, where it's like, oh, you're this beautiful, thin, white, blonde lady, Mm. and, like, how many good parts is anyone willing to write for you? And we've seen in this movie, like, obviously, like, she's great in this movie. I feel like it's pretty universally acknowledged. And I feel like then she has this reputation of, like, she's never been good in anything else. It's like, well, has she ever been in another good movie? And is that necessarily her fault? Like, fool's gold. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. It was a star vehicle. It was really good. Yeah, no, she she hasn't, and, and I think that's I kind of it's hard because I want to hate this movie for its portrayal of, and for for what happens to the woman in this movie, but I feel like it might be an honest portrayal of what was happening. Yeah, it's like, kind of like a documentary. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's yeah. not like I I think that it's it's not like it's played off as like that's really cool that they were trading women for beer. Like, yeah, Patrick it's not like is disgusted. He doesn't get by in there. Annie yeah. up. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Like he's appalled, exactly. and he tells her, and she's obviously like Upset. heartbroken yeah. by it because she's actually in love with Billy Crudup. Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. It's not – it's there, but it's like – it's yeah, it's not portrayed as something cool that's going on, I yeah. don't think. 
But she, anyway, like, manages to get to New York. There's, like, a huge blow up at, like, the dinner table. Yeah, that's a great scene, too, because the guy's wife uh, is like, who's that girl? She keeps on staring at us. Is she with one of you guys? And then every one of them goes, she's with me. And she's like, okay. So now I know that he's been cheating on me with that woman. It's such a perfect and well-written scene. I really liked it. Yeah. And then we understand how in love with her patrifugit is because he goes and runs into the street and, and checks every cab to try to find her to try to right. talk to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When, when does the like the, does the overdose happen before the plane thing? Yes. Yes. It happens yeah. like right after that, doesn't it? Yeah. So he goes to New York. He goes to this hotel where she's staying with his other band that she's been traded to, and you can say it, the Almond Brothers, <laughs> and the sick. Cameron Crowe really threw his friends and the almonds under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) And she has been doing a lot of drugs. Yeah, she like overdosed on Quaaludes and he has to like save her life. Yeah, and it's funny until it's not funny. No, because he like... And because he kind of plays it for laughs, she like falls over a couch and he grabs the glass from her hand as she does so she doesn't spill her drink and it's like played for laughs. And then he's dancing with her to try to keep her awake and and then tells her he loves her and kisses her as she's passed out in his arms. Yeah. Yeah. Which fucking gross. Which is which is gross. And I don't know if you guys have read In Conversation with Billy Wilder, which is Cameron Crowe's book where he interviews Billy Wilder. He's like, hey, Billy Wilder, guess what I did? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he steals a scene from the apartment. Oh. This is exactly from the apartment when this is a whole a comedy up until now. And then Jack Lemmon comes home and sees Shirley MacLaine passed out, overdosed in his apartment. And it's been a comedy up until now. And and now he's trying to keep her awake by walking her around. And it's this extended scene where we don't break from it. And the doctors are putting a hose down her throat to try to get her to throw up. And this is copied almost Mm -hmm. beat for beat, except he puts in a kiss to a passed out woman, which is weird because even in the 50s version of that, that was too far. (laughs) You know, like no one would do that in the fucking 50s. So... Yeah, I don't know whether this kind of rock and roll feeling towards woman influenced well, Patrick I mean, Fugit to the point where he did this in the movie. I don't know. This, I mean, we can, we can sort of like, this movie depicts an era which was terrible to women. But also, like, I don't think Cameron Crowe is that great when it comes to writing women or, like, portraying women. And, like... Yeah, but know, Penny Lane is so good. Like, that character is so good. Yeah, but it's also, like, based upon, like... And the mother. His projections of her. Yeah. And, like, all the other Cameron Crowe movies, Elizabethtown... Elizabethtown was the worst movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I would I would talk about that in an instant because, like, it could almost be almost good. <laughs> yeah. I, almost good. I took a date to that movie and we almost broke up afterwards. Like, it was that, <laughs> it was like, on the first date, it was that bad. Yeah. I yeah. think there's a lot, like, if you look th- through his career, it's sort of, for Say Anything, certainly, like, Jerry Maguire, yeah. almost famous. At the center of all these movies, there's this very sort of, like, mediocre man who's, like, told over and over again that he's actually very special. Mm-hmm. I was just re- there was a great article in the Globe and Mail the other day about like Justin Timberlake's Super Bowl right. performance and the concept of like sort of like white straight male mediocrity and failing up. <laughs> and I kept thinking about that watching this movie where it's like sure you can be some teenage boy who doesn't know what he's doing and get 
this job at Rolling Stone, and that then for no reason, like, that turns into the cover story, just because you were there, and that even, like, this band, it's like, they're not that great. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's be real. Everything Stillwater, yeah. not a great band. Even, yeah. like, in the movie, they're sort of like, we're not that great. Only one of us has musical talents. But, like, <laughs> here, oh, like, everything's going fine. And, like, okay, yeah, now we are going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone and have all this, like, great stuff happen to us. Yeah. Like, it's just all this sort of, like, because you're there, like, you get all these things. And I think that that totally crosses over to entitlements around women. And that it's, like, sure. because Patrick Fugit is a nice guy and has feelings for Penny Lane, he actually, like, in some way deserves her and, like, oh, should be allowed to have access to her body. And it's gross. You're, you're hitting yeah. on my biggest gripe with 90s movies. Like, the movies that formed us in our youth is that they told us we were special. Like, like mm-hmm. the, the, the white main character was special and male main character. And so, like, I saw myself in that. I'm a white male. And I, you know, you grow up thinking that you're, and teachers tell you this and everyone tells you you're so special, you're destined for great things. And you see that in the character. Characters you Nobody watch. told me I was special. I'll tell you you're special, and it's 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 all right now to it's be. Go to my yeah. head. <laughs> but it's all right to be special, but not all right to say that like if you don't attain great things, then you failed. And I think that's what happens with a lot of people, and that's why this like failing up happens because there's this culture around yeah. that that thinks everyone's needs to be in the best band or needs to like write for only like these yeah. movies all contain the phrase get the girl too which is just like so objectifying and like grosses me out so much. it's like get the sandwich or something yeah. well, right it's like, right, right. At collect least them all yeah. yeah it's a Pokemon at movie. least the Cameron Crowe character doesn't get the girl in this like mm-hmm. he's he gets yeah. like the character gets exactly what he needs, which is the to end of feel, the movie. But to feel that he's special, and that's the thing. Like in the end of the movie, he feels that he's he's the only one that Penny Lane opened up to right. and was special to. So he's still the most special person in the movie, right. mm-hmm. which is, I guess, fine to have your main character that way. But at the same time, I, we're all special in our own ways. But it's it's okay to just live your life and not like be the whole world to someone. I you think know? he thinks he deserves everything that he gets. Yeah. And that he's, like, owed things. I think he thinks that, like, he's the one who deserves Penny Lane, and that's why he's allowed to kiss her while she is passed out and, like, ODing. Mm. I think he that's, thinks... That's an astute comment. Yeah. He, I think he, he thinks deserves he deserves it. this Rolling Stone cover. Yeah. I found, like, it's interesting, like, with movies you like that feature teen characters, and you, like, watch as a teen, and you obviously, like, relate to the teen characters. Yeah. And if you come back and watch it, like, as an adult... And I find myself relating to a whole, like, like there's this w- one, like, minor character in the Rolling Stone office who's that, like, woman who I guess is doing it's all, all the fact checking. It's all written on notes. Like, yeah. Oh, I, man, she's amazing. She's I so feel funny. like she's, like, I remember thinking of her as kind of this antagonist. Like, she's, she's sort like, of a ah. villain. But now, I totally relate to her now. And it's like, oh, like, here's someone who actually probably, like, went to journalism school, <laughs> worked her way up into this yeah, position. Right. Yeah, but and she's 70s, been asking Yan Wenner to do a story for, like, three years, and he just gives it to this guy. And this, like, little boy yeah. shows up and hands her these post-it notes, and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. this, I'm supposed 
supposed to like read through and organize this. Right. And then like the band denies everything, and she's like, "Oh, great! So this is just like fan fiction from a child, <laughs> and he's getting the co- like I've been trying to get a cover story for yeah. years. You should but, let like, me do my Joni Mitchell story. Yeah. <laughs> no, let this little little baby boy do whatever he wants. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really connected to that lady. Yeah. That sort of sounds like what Rolling Stone was like. Did you read about all that like stuff that came out with the Rolling Stone's 50th anniversary recently? No. no. Well, Yan Wenner, who mm. features in this movie and is a cameo, you know, there was a bunch of like people getting articles for providing sexual favors right. or like weird stuff. So you might say that Rolling Stone was a little bit rock and roll itself. If by rock and roll you mean awful. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Mm. So. Oh, yeah. But that lady was great, the one who isn't putting up with anybody else's shit. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I worked for this goddamn job. Anyway, the the other the other really big scene in this movie is is the plane crash scene because that kind of mm-hmm. plane crashes were right. big with bands back then. Like they took a lot of famous musicians. That's lives. true. That's true. Um, they like reference uh, the day the music died as soon as the turbulence starts hitting. Right. They yeah. start singing Peggy Sue. Well, I'm sure it's pretty fresh, you know, and and they're a band. So I sort of do that every time I'm in a plane too. I'm yeah. like, oh, like in Con Air when they're like listening to Sweet Home Alabama when the plane's like, you right. know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and this is a great scene, but again, I feel like it's, I don't know, like there's another Jason Lee movie, Mall, Mall rats they had mm-hmm. this whole speech about going down people saying and doing whatever they wanted and then the plane writing itself at the end it just felt like it was kind of cop from the- anyway i think mm-hmm. that's actually happened oh yeah this is what, one of those things that cameron crowe says is like based on a true event oh i don't think you got a solid gay joke out of it <laughs> right like, yeah exactly yeah that was at least there's another- like gay representation right Oh my god! <laughs> okay, do we wanna, can we? Do you want to spend a minute on queer representation on this movie because we it's should, not. Please, yeah, it's not the best. Like yeah. I, I find that that moment really rubbed me the wrong way in mm. 2018. Yeah, where it's like just a laugh that this guy. Well, it's has a punchline. Like, yeah. yeah, it's his whole life he's been in the closet and he says something true for once, and it's like, and oh, there's okay, no, yeah. and nobody says anything about it yeah. ever again no yeah. like there's zero follow-up to right. it and it's, it's like i feel like it's like that could actually be an interesting element of the movie especially because it's like there are these like mediocre like straight white men and it's like oh except one of them isn't right, <laughs> right. and then yeah. I've, in the in yeah. the director's cut too you get a bit more time with that character and you see like his reaction you see Patrick Fugit like trying to interview him yeah. and he's so silent and he almost like yeah, says he doesn't nothing. say anything the only thing in the movie i think he says is that line. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another scene from the director's cut too later on where they're sort of they're where they're talking about the article and they're like, Oh, you had the right idea. Like you just never say anything. And mm-hmm. it's like that all is actually like a lot more tragic if you yeah, think yeah. about He's quietly suffering who this person be. is. Yeah. But like the, I don't know. I don't think the movie gen- genuinely has anything to say about it. I don't think the movie even considers that character gay outside of that one scene where it's just able to yeah. be a punchline. And then the only other queer sexuality you have at all in the movie is, I feel like there's a couple of references that imply that, like, male groupies exist, right? Because there's, like, a question of, like, is Patrick Fugit a groupie? Or no, he's not. He's, like, with the band, right. but not in that way. And oh, then when with Jay Baruchel, too, they're like, yeah. oh, he, <laughs> he's, like, with Led Zeppelin. Oh, but not like that. So oh, it's, no. like, that implies that there must have been... 
Yeah. Well, I mean, from what I understand, what I've learned from that Quincy Jones interview in the 70s, yeah. everybody was having gay sex all the time. Marlon Brando and uh, everybody. <laughs> and everybody. Mm-hmm. Who did, who, it was Marlon Brando and uh, Richard Pryor. Did you hear about that? Quincy Jones? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just... I just like sure. hear the dialogue in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you do get in that weird deflowering scene, like Bijou Phillips and Anna no, Paquin kiss, and Feruza yeah. Balkarov, but that's very like lesbian kiss for male gays. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Cruel Intentions. It's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's That moment is also very, that like loss of virginity scene I find really bizarre. Well, yeah, <sighs> it totally is because it's like it's like a fantasy Maybe it really happened to him, but they also like. I don't know. It's like three women dancing around him and like rubbing silk scarves on his face as they like. Yeah. <laughs> while while he looks at the woman that he's in love with, look at him having this experience mm-hmm. and like being. She's being like faux bashful about it, but like laughing about it. So it's it's this weird sexual like it's it's tied up in a lot of confusion, which is I guess what like first times are but that's like to, to the <laughs> <Yeah>. max <laughs> what's your name again <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> well you like lost your virginity to three people simultaneously right yeah for sure but that was a whole nother thing <laughs> but it was the almond bros tour so <laughs> right exactly <laughs> it was different yeah yeah i think that like was a my, band-aid one of my favorite parts of the movie is all the times that william is calling his mom or his mom is calling william and somebody's inevitably like ends up mentioning pot to her mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> which is that's a pretty funny like ongoing joke yeah and, and also when she talks to billy crudup it's yeah a, it's, a, it's that's a great scene just because he like suddenly becomes serious and she really affects him to the point where he has to leave his whole world and go do a lot of acid yeah uh to, to try to sounds like a mom <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're a slave to the groove you can't help it um, no, Russell, no, Russell, Russell, Russell. Hey, Mom, it's Russell Ham, and I play guitar in Stillwater. Hey, how does it feel to be the mother of the greatest rock journalist we've met? Ow! Hello? Hello? Look, you got a, you got a great kid here. There's nothing to worry about. We're taking good care of him, and you should, you know, you should come to the show sometime. Hey, Join the hey, circus. listen to me, mister. Your charm doesn't work on me. I'm on to you. Oh, of course you like him. Well, yeah. He worships you people. And that's fine by you as long as he helps make you rich. Rich? I don't think so. Listen to we me. Si- He's a smart, good-hearted, 15-year-old kid with infinite potential. This is not some apron-wearing mother you're speaking to. I know all about your Valhalla decadence, and I shouldn't have let him go. He's not ready for your world of compromised values and diminished brain cells that you throw away like confetti. Am I speaking to you clearly? Yes, yes, ma'am. If you break his spirit, harm him in any way, keep him from his chosen profession, which is law, something you may not value, but I do, you will meet the voice at the other end of this telephone and it will not be pretty. Do we understand each other? Uh, yes, ma'am. I didn't ask for this role, but I'll play it. I love her phone call with Feruza Balk, too. That's a great scene. Feruza Balk is great in this movie. Yeah, I sort of forgot she was in here. She's funny. When she runs into that wall, mm-hmm. yeah. it's funny. That's pretty funny. It's good. Yeah. yeah. You know who else is in this movie that I didn't realize until we started rewatching? It was uh, Jimmy Fallon. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's like cleverly disguised as their new manager. I had never recognized him in this movie before. Yeah. And I saw his name in the opening credits, and I was like, no, he's not in this movie. <laughs> what are you talking yeah, about? No one laughs for an hour in this movie. He can't be in this movie. And yeah, he is. He plays this, like, his wig is all weird. He has his huge glasses. Mm-hmm. He's like bad. <laughs> he's like, I think he's really bad in this. I he mean, should have played Neil Young in this movie or something, I, I would right? have loved if he played Neil Young. <laughs> yeah, because his, his impersonation is spot on for so many That would have been good. I was just yeah. going to launch into old man right there. But Hi! Hi. Hi. <laughs> hey, we've already got a manager, man. He's been with us from the beginning. Respectfully. We all have our roots. I believe in bands holding on to their roots. Those roots need to be augmented. I'm going to tell you the truth. I may enrage some and enthrall others. I don't really give a fuck. Your manager here needs a manager. Example, if you hadn't run out in your contract in Phoenix, we could have sued over Russell's hand. But you left, negating the contract, forfeiting the deposit. You effectively traveled a long way to pay that promoter to electrocute you. There is a great, like, cameo or something where it's just, like, a shot of these two people in a hotel room, like, singing to each other. It's implied that it's, like, it's supposed to be, like, Graham Parsons. Okay. It's just cool, like, you know. I love all, like, the the texture of this movie. It's so perfect because, like... (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, because he's walking down the hall and he sees these two people in a hotel room kind of singing to each other. Like, it gets... It's It's like the nice shining. (laughs) there's no bear in that room but it gets like the world of rock and roll specifically like you know American rock and roll in the 70s like so perfect by like having like these characters that we know like the real sort of implies like the real stars that we know and love like we see people freaking out because off camera somebody sees Bowie or I think they they try we just see like a bit of Bowie's hair or something that's being like you know put in and then there's also like real characters like the Almond Brothers Rhodey is mm-hmm. represented so if you know like a little bit about like the history of the era of music it like really comes alive in a way that well, is really wonderful yeah and I and I heard in some interviews that Cameron Crowe went back to those places that he did those interviews in and, and he went back to the like that ramp where he tries to get into the concert hall is, is that the actual ramp it's the actual ramp that he tried to get into when he was a kid so like he, there should be a plaque on there mm-hmm. yeah and he, and he says those places have some energy have that memory of that thing so filming in those places again for him was not only a reminder of what actually happened and made it more real but made it more real just by dint of being that place yeah which is kind of cool yeah okay so we watched the uh the untitled director's cut yeah which you said you watched all the time i did you know and i think when i was like younger and i was sighing i know I think as an adult, I appreciate the work of an editor more. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That's also just like the er, the original cut, to, like a two-hour movie, two right? Two-hour movie. This, the, the director's cut is 40 minutes longer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. That's asking a lot. Yeah, you, you like texted me in the middle of the night to talk <laughs> about the cake scene, Johnny. <laughs> well, that's like, it. it just seems like it includes almost like every single piece of footage he shot, like... There is one that he didn't include. He oh, I actu- heard about that. He actually filmed a scene where he, William, plays his mother the entirety of Stairway to Heaven. Uh. And Cameron Crowe, he sat down with Led Zeppelin. He showed them the script, the movie, and they, like, okayed a bunch of their songs for, for use in the movie. You hear Tangerine. You hear Thank You, all those. 
But they wouldn't let him use Stairway to Heaven because it's like fucking no, Stairway to Heaven. No mm-hmm. Stairway. That's right. So on the bonus material on the DVD, the scene is on there, but you have to like sync it up with your own copy of Stairway to Heaven. Oh, it's just like funny. you can sync up Dark Side of the Moon yeah. with mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's a cute thing to do, but, but like that scene should not be in no. that movie. Like no. And I, I found like so many of those bits just like really took the air out of the film. For sure. In which like watching people like spend eleven minutes hearing that song and just watching them listen to it would take the air out of <laughs> the story in a pretty big way. Yeah. Just, yeah. like, all of that sort of, like, B-roll of Kate Hudson cutting a birthday cake for a million years. Like, why? Why? Why do you have to watch that for so she long? Asked every member of the crew if they wanted birthday cake. Like, it's, that's what was happening yeah, in that scene. Yeah, and it felt like, like she's just, like, like they're just... It felt like someone was just, like, just keep... Just improv it, Kate. Just keep going. We're just gonna just keep filming you for a while. And she's like, okay, do you want some cake? Like, it's nothing. That's, it, no, it's nothing. <laughs> It's not. Or that that long scene with like the radio DJ who's falling asleep. Oh, I kind of liked that. Ken, yeah, yeah, it's Ken Gas from Tenacious D. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of funny. Kyle Gas. Well, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. But they're not rock stars. <laughs> not. But yeah, you know, it sort of didn't really add anything, though. Like mm-hmm. they did like a little bit of the band bickering. Like it's a funny scene, but yeah, I think like watching it this time. Like, when I used to, like, listen to more rock music, I would want to get, like, the additions with the Japanese bonus tracks. Right, right. And all, like, the demos the and, and yeah, yeah, the alternate versions. And now when I want to listen to a great rock record, I just want to put on, like... The, the good stuff. The good stuff. Well, that's, that's yeah. how I am with books, too. Like, they're re-releasing all of Stephen King's bo- books uncut. And I'm like, why? Books I- suck, Blaine. I'm talking about records. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Like... There's something to Stephen like. Stephen King needs to be cut. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. yeah, I think like if I had seen this version like as a teen, I would have been really excited by all the extra material. But yeah, now like watching it, I was just like, this is so bloated, and really none of these extra scenes add anything, and in yeah. some in some places take away. Yeah, well, I think also like when I was younger, the first time I watched it, I think I was just so blown away by the world and like, right. how it depicts the world and the way that they use the music is really good it's always making you like feel something in yeah. some sort of way like i sort of glossed over a lot of like the the story or whatever and now i i more want to see like how that works i would more like to see the story sort of do its thing if it does do a thing but in the bootleg cut it's sort of hard to tell because it keeps losing its momentum mm-hmm. yeah there's just radio interviews and he's got to talk to this guy and more yeah. stuff with the drummer you know. <laughs> yeah. I discovered that like I realized that I knew the original version so well like better than I, I had thought that I could pretty much spot every single time a new scene had been inserted oh. I was like I remember I was like oh yeah this huh. isn't like how this edit worked yeah. and there were a few notable parts where I was like oh like you ruined this moment by making it go on too long like I, I'm pretty sure in the original cut when he has that first meeting with Lester Bangs and he's like, well, I gotta go. I can't just stand around here like talking to my fans all day. You cut right to them being in the restaurant later and yeah. clearly they're still talking, which is a hilarious edit and really great. In the bootleg version, they keep standing around on that street oh, corner yeah, that was and it's sort of like, oh, I took the bus here. And I was like, oh, what's this? Like, this is bad. Yeah, That's the best part! <laughs> no, the, the stupid thing about that shot is is there's like three obey signs in the corner, you oh, know, no. Shepard Ferry oh, right. uh, posters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit and, anachronistic. And then uh, the other moment like that that I thought the, uh, when the, uh, that 
teen party where Billy Crudup takes acid right. and he's telling these like weird kids like you're real and he has that weird little speech about it and I'm pretty sure in the original version like it that scene ends with the other kid just saying like you want to see me like feed a mouse to my snake and he just is like yes yeah <laughs> but That's then in this version yeah. it's like it keeps going and this uh, and his friend is like can I have your belt and there's this weird moment where they, and it's just like oh no like you had such a great button to this scene and yeah. then you just let the scene keep going after it should have ended and I don't, and I didn't need this other part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, let's go around and and say if we think the version rewashed is rewashable, or the or the old one was. Johnny, was it rewashable for you? The movie, absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to watch that cut of it again. Yeah. Like I'm sort of. I mean, I I'm glad that I did one time and I saw yeah. it. I will probably watch this movie again, but I will be watching the standard yeah. cut. I don't know. It's. It's it's not like an unproblematic movie, but it's just it's so charming. It's like very aggressively charming. Yeah, and it just wins you over again and again. And Hold each time, closer, yeah, come come closer. <laughs> no, no <get laughs> every time me, I sort of like tried to resist it, there would just be a joke or just a beautiful little moment, and I would just be like, oh, I can't help. I just can't yeah. help loving it. It's this very sentimental love letter to that whole 70s rock era that I feel like is paints a very incomplete picture of what was going on, but it's like it's a really nice picture. It's a yeah. picture you like want to spend time with. And Francis McDormand's performance, <laughs> I just I just want more, more, more. more. Yeah. 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 I like the part where she comes and threatens to kick band-aids in the bot never mind. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was rewatchable. I think it's definitely problematic with how it kind of treats women, but also that was kind of the time too, like mm-hmm. which which I think is is great that it doesn't shy away from how these rockers treated these women. It I mean, it shies away from it but doesn't completely cut it out of of the story. Um and there are some weird parts to it where I'm like, I don't I don't know if this was the extended version or in the original cut, but like Frances McDormand going to her son's graduation when she knows he's not going to be there. I was like, why would you? Why would you go to that? Anyway, well, I kind of believed that she would. Oh, yeah, really? Like that? Like that weird lady would. Ah, oh, so weird. <laughs> it, like meant so much to her, like her plan for her child. Yeah, and, like she oh, was going to see it through okay, even I'm, if he well, wasn't there. <laughs> well, I'm glad I brought it up. I, I see it anew now. That's that's nice, but depressing for her. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought it was really great. The soundtrack is obviously amazing. They had 77 songs in this wow. movie. Yeah, I think uh, like the like licensing budget was like 3.5 million dollars. Yeah, I think it was like half the movie budget. Yeah, they yeah. couldn't pay Jason Lee. Yeah, well, and they had to meet with all these rockers and sit down with them and kind of show them the cut of the movie and be like, "Can we please use this song?" Yeah, which was which is pretty cool. What about you, Rob? Did you think it was rewatchable? Yeah, I think seeing it this time in the sort of extended cut, I thought like it was way too bloated. And I'm sort of curious to watch the uh, theatrical version and see it like in its slimmer, more right. efficient form. It's the like form a little bit more ev- punk rock, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like a bloated Genesis <laughs> tune. Without that weird scene where Zoe Deschanel's boyfriend climbs in through the window and like talks to Patrick Fugit about how he's had sex with his sister. Oh, yeah. That what? Was it's with that. So weird. Yeah, that's a weird scene. Oh. Also, because he says like this is my room now, and he's like cool, and then he feels the bedspread <laughs> yeah. like it's still Zoe Deschanel's bedspread. Yeah, that 
kid has been sleeping in here. Like, but then in the end, it's not his room. He changes rooms. Uh, they film a different room for the end. So it's very that's, weird. That's strange. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. It's a problematic movie in a lot of ways. And like, I think since watching it, I've I have a problem with Cameron Crowe and the way that he depicts women, which is weird because there are so many strong, cool women in his life. Like, apparently, his mom. He was married yeah. to Nancy Wilson of Heart. Yeah. I mean, it, you think that he would recognize that they have more like agency or yeah. I think he tries to set that up in his movies, but I don't think he can follow through on it very well. Well, I, it always seems like he's projecting his yeah. desire or whatever onto, right. onto everybody, which is too bad because this movie, it really got me in like a good way. I think it's still a pretty good, solid movie. It's I think, probably his best movie. Is that safe to say? I think so. <sighs> yeah. I mean, you like Jerry what, Maguire. Jerry Maguire, come on. Yeah, I love Jerry Maguire. I think it's a great film. Ta- oh, talk about like an ode to mediocrity. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I, well, my husband. Oh, great female characters in Jerry Maguire, right? Single mom? <laughs> no, there's no, there's no good. Cameron That's no. But maybe we'll have you back on, talk about Jerry Maguire. We just go through the whole Cameron Crowe of. Uh, there are some good ones. Say anything's good. John Mahoney. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, like, that movie is good. And the relationship between, like, the daughter and the dad in that, oh, it's so good. Yeah, like, he gets some specificity out, like the guy being into karate so much. Like it's just weird. He gets these weird little true yeah, things, yeah, like, true feeling things. Yeah, or he yeah. used to. I right. There's nothing true about buying a zoo. Yeah, or Aloha. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing oh, true about yeah. having an Asian character played by. Anyway, yeah, and yet people still keep letting him make movies. I don't. Is, is he allowed to make a movie now? <laughs> <laughs> Even oh, this, man. like this, was a bomb, right? Yeah, that's Lost right. Money. It was a total bomb. Really? I, I think it yeah. was like a it was like a critical success, but it didn't make any money. It's so funny because it's such a nostalgic movie that it must be good in its own nostalgia. Like people looking back on it, remembering watching it too. Well, I'm sure like it's one of those movies that is less timely. It's it's 17 years old now. It doesn't feel like an old movie by those standards, at least to me. Mm. It doesn't feel like it's filmmaking from another era, but it, it does depict a lot of <laughs> a different yeah. era. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. that's rewatchability for this week. You can find us on the E1 Podcast Network, and you can also find us on Apple Music. You can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, and... Join us on the road. Yeah, that's right. We'll be hitting all the towns on the West Coast, Uh San Bernardino, Mm -hmm. San Diego. Just all the sands. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look look him up under the name Harry Houdini. <laughs> <laughs> and also donate on Patreon. Johnny, where can we, uh, where oh, yeah. what are you up to? If you want to keep up to date on all, all of my little hijinks, you can go to my website, johnnywalkerartist.com. My name is spelled the same way as the popular brand of alcohol. Oh, so. that's where I know you from. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stage name. <laughs> all right, and we'll be back. I don't know. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.